Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Now, when it comes to motivating staff, if you're still using the stick approach, then things have moved on considerably and you might be interested to learn more about the ways that businesses are using bonuses and benefits to motivate their staff without stressing them or actually impacting on their overall efficiency. Whether you're using bonuses to incentivize achieving certain goals or rewarding exceptional behavior, there's more to this than a turkey at Christmas. Now, Tracy, where do you stand, for example, on the money motivates people way of thinking? Well, I think culturally and in a lot of businesses, it's still the main uh, reward incentive um, you know, employees have bonus schemes. I think the research I found from the Office for National Statistics, it's a little old, but it was still the most popular reward. And some £46 billion was spent in the UK in 2016-17 on cash bonuses. But we've talked about the future of work and expectations of the younger generations who are coming through work now. And I think we might be having to rethink what actually incentivizes and rewards our staff. But I think we're in that middle ground at the moment where, you know, bonuses are in some companies are expected and um, it might be quite difficult to change it. But I think ultimately there's a lot more creative thinking that's potentially going to be needed in the workplace. What do you think? I think what's really interesting about bonuses, and I don't think it's um, I, I don't think it's just me, but at one time bonuses were just for high performers, you know, senior execs. You you wouldn't pay a bonus to, you know, the ranks, rank and file, so to speak. But now I think the expectation is set that people people. I think people are much more if I go the extra mile you know or why would I go the extra mile if I'm not going to get rewarded Uh, and then there are people who think well you know I've I've got my salary but that's not enough on its own and there's an expectation that if we achieve everything that we're supposed to achieve then it would be nice to be rewarded for my involvement in that so I think it's really difficult and we also have to think about if you use the bonus system um, in the wrong way, it can actually stress people out because now they're being driven by targets and that can be really difficult. I think another contentious issue with bonuses though is the the financial collapse we had in 2008 Mm -hmm. and the Financial Services Authority said that remuneration packages, which included significant bonuses, were a contributory factor to the whole market crisis. So you look at investment banking in particular, where the rewards were incentivizing short-term revenue and profit targets. And the FSA said that it gave staff incentives to pursue unduly risky practices. So the other contentious issue is what is your bonus incentivizing you to do? Mm. And is it properly designed? Yeah. And also, uh, and the CIPD have produced quite a 
quite a robust fact sheet that sort of looks at all sorts of levels of employment and some of the pitfalls, you know, because if you if you have a small salary and a large bonus, then you need to be thinking about what that means in terms of pension contribution. Um, and you, so it's not just as straightforward as, yeah, we just lump all the money at the end. And I think some of the what you were saying about the banking uh, sector and the, and, and the, you know, the financial collapse there there was a lot of that sort of oh well this is my basic salary and i'll pay tax on that and then i'll have my bonus paid by some other means and and i mean that's what they were trying to clamp down on have you seen this cipd fact sheet i have yeah it's very comprehensive it's very good now, but do you have to be a cipd member to get access to it do you know um oh i don't know because we both are so i'm not sure whether we I don't know. That's it would a very be a shame good if it's, if it's not available widely, um, but I'm sure that the CIPD have got some information that would be available, even if it's not behind the uh, the membership wall. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good question. I I, I don't know, but um, yeah. Well, let's let's hope that it is accessible to everybody. And <laughs> um, if it, I, I'll put a link to it, and if you can download it from there, then fantastic. Um, if you can't, then uh, I apologize <laughs> but it but it but it it does go it talks a lot about the downside for employees um so sometimes people don't want the money sometimes people are more interested in as we've as we've said before you, you, you know some of the more perhaps flexible working or um I don't know a, a, a an allowance for something rather than a straight bonus but they talk about whether there are bonuses based on the individual so it's solely based on what you as as a person do whether it's um driven by the results of the business so if you achieve certain profit levels there's a reward for everybody it might just be your team some collective working so if your team exceeds the expectation or over delivers it could be for a very specific project so if we get if we hit this milestone then we get a we get a payment or it might be based on a site if this site if this store if this region achieves there will be a bonus for for for, for the people within that organ that department for example so it's really really it's really complicated and it's also i think what's really important is when you when you make these payments do you make them at Christmas? I mean, obviously, from a taxation point of view, you need to think about when you make them, corporation tax. But do you make them at Christmas? Do you make them at salary review time? Do you make them very specifically in line with a particular goal, a particular target, your end of year accounts, whatever it might be? And that's where I think it can get really tricky if you time it wrong. Because if too much time has passed from when the goal was achieved, people Run, you run the risk that people are demotivated because they go oh we did all that work i think the other risk as well is is that you set targets that can't be achieved or or targets that are too easy you've got to really pitch it well uh, how demotivating is it if you get this lovely uh, bonus target but that is is built so that you never achieve it that the company yeah. never pays out and i think you'd stop trying in the end wouldn't you really uh, yeah. I did read an article in Disruptive HR, though, with some alternatives. Ooh. So um, 
We like a bit of disruption. Yeah, the article says, forget bonuses. Here are the top six ways to reward your people. So let's see what you think of these, Heather. Apparently, they um, interviewed a panel of business leaders and asked them what they thought the best reward they've ever been given at work is. Wow. So these are the um, few things that people have said. Time off. Yeah. Okay. The chance to learn something that was not directly linked to my job. Oh, okay. Some... A handwritten note from a busy boss. Well, doesn't that just happen anyway? You'd sort of hope so, wouldn't you? Some I would. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about handwritten. An email would do, wouldn't it? Or yeah, or, or just a verbal, thanks very much yeah. indeed, you were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the opportunity to give something back through working with a charity. Uh, that's a biggie, yeah. This is interesting. A life-changing bonus. Not all companies can afford that, can they? <laughs> a life-changing bonus. It could be life-changing if it's very small. It's like, <laughs> right, I'm off. <laughs> a personalised gift or a peer-nominated award recognising me for the work that I've done. That's what they said. And um, what Disrupt HR said was that the, the – things that made these rewards good whether they were unexpected so to create a sense of surprise and delight they were thoughtful and personalized based on what they needed wanted or valued now that's really mm -hmm. tricky because if you've got a big workforce you know do you get everybody the same do you try and individualize it for everybody yeah, that sounds like a minefield to me mm -hmm. um, and it came from someone whose good opinion mattered to them so let's hope that the boss is someone whose good opinion matters to you. That is really important. And also, I think you need to consider what else is going on within the organisation. You know, I've heard of organisations where people have gone in, you know, I don't know, on the on the 1st of December and everybody's got an advent calendar. You know, and yet within other parts of the business, they're being asked to cut and you know save money etc it's like well that's a very mixed message i think that's a really big thing with the advent of um worldwide news for companies so global companies with an intranet with news stories so facebook do um yeah. uh, company-wide news sites don't they and think there are similar products out there and i think if you see one organization celebrating their amazing gift it can yeah. be a little demoralizing in brazil or argentina yeah. or the uk absolutely. yeah absolutely just one thing on this that, that that i'll i'll post a link to i think it's a really interesting article of course we're living in you know coronavirus times um, and there was an interesting article that said that they'd done some research of eleven thousand people working at different places around the world but about three and a half thousand were in the uk and it's the, the title is companies are dangerously living off employee goodwill in pandemic, according to new research. And what they're suggesting is that anxiety levels have risen massively, um, that, that there's a risk that um, people are very stressed. People have been going the extra mile. They've been delivering in spite of all of this. And that starts to become the kind of norm. And we need to remember that this is not normal and people have really pushed themselves. And whilst financially, a lot of organisations might not be in a position to pay a big bonus, they need to think about how they recognise and how they reward that effort. Um, 
emotionally or financially. I think that's a really important thing. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And in the other news section, I thought I'd share a story about BMWs, Heather. I wonder, anybody? Oh, the car. I've got a BMW, yes, okay. at the moment. So I saw an article in Forbes website um, where they said that BMW have announced um, via a virtual reality press conference, as seems to be uh, the way at the moment, that several features on its new operating system um, are going to be rolled out on a subscription basis. Tell me more. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, so do you have an operating system in your car? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I have a man to do that for me. No, I'm sure I do. Operating yeah. System 7, which will arrive... Oh, it's in the 5 series. You haven't got 5, have you? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Um, some of the features, according to this article, feel like real game changers. So like... Um, the iPhone can be used instead of a key fob um, and BMWs warning each other about hazards ahead and slippery road conditions. There's like a little BMW network. Um, but what's really interesting is this complex new subscription model. Now, subscription models for businesses have, have really become the thing, haven't they? Software is all subscription now. If you want Microsoft, you don't just buy a box of I was going to say floppy disks you really don't <laughs> floppy disks <laughs> you don't just buy the software and install it on your computer it's a continual update and so they've got you tied into a subscription service which is great because it's constant income for the company and this is what BMW doing so they might be asking um, owners of BMWs to pay $80 a year for Apple CarPlay um, However, they did do that, but customers didn't like it. Um, but they're bringing the idea back because it, it's um, obviously really very important to them. They've been a bit vague at the moment and they haven't said what the prices are going to be. But features like driver assistance systems, um, augmented sport exhaust sounds. Do you have those, Heather? No. Adaptive M suspension. This might interest you more. Heated seats. <laughs> Could yeah. be on a subscription basis with periods. So yeah, you have to subscribe to have heated seats. What? So they're kind of fitted as standard, but you have to pay extra to access That's them. Right. They don't get accessed. You, you can't access them until you've got a subscription. So they're talking about <sighs> being able to get them for a month to three years. So say, for example, you think I'd like a subscription to heated seats for the month of January. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> So, yeah, they've got to fit all the cars with all of the features. So it's not really, uh, it, it's an interesting model because they're not going to retrofit these features. Um, but you just don't access them unless you've subscribed to them. But I think it now's the time for it, really, if they're going to go down that route. Like I say, software's gone down that route and we subscribe for um, films and TV and music and books, don't we? So... Why not car features? That, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I do it for my printer. So, I, you know, I pay, yeah. I pay a set amount each month for so many pages to print. But I hadn't really thought about it 
No, it's not a massive leap of imagination, is it, to apply it to anything with additional features, really, I suppose. Interesting. Well, I have to mull that over. <laughs> and another article, yeah, in the management today this week, uh, there was an article, the 10 values that will matter most after COVID-19. And they've done a culture and inclusion study, which... Uh, speaks to over 500 senior executives across various sectors and they came up with a list of 10 values that they'd most like to see um, so that's agility and honesty polled um, joint number one with 58 percent of the respondents saying agility and honesty um, were, were their top values number three social responsibility more was okay. teamwork. Joint fifth was human and innovative. I don't know what the human means. There was no explanation there. Right. But um, I, I think maybe we're, we're talking about, um, you know, sort of human interaction or... Um, being, re being real, being human, yeah, being... Maybe. Authentic, I don't know. Yeah. Seven is ethical. Eight is respectful. Nine is transparent and ten is courageous. Um, and so I'm disappointed that only fifty-eight have got have said honesty. Yes, that's a little troubling, isn't it? Yeah, it's at the top of the list, but it's joint with agility. So yeah, be agile and honest. Mm. Um, the report's author, um, a gentleman called Martin Roach did point out the clear preference for what he calls intrinsic values, honesty, community and teamwork that are inherently rewarding over extrinsic values with external rewards and success. Um, but agility and adaptability may, I mean, that's just been really brought to the fore, hasn't it, by COVID anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of businesses have recognised how agile and how, how adaptable they are and and have already started to make changes so i think it's going to be top of the list I, I would have been surprised not to see agility up there in the context of covid yeah and also those businesses who weren't agile have learned a very hard lesson that maybe that's something they need to look at yeah i um i've got a, a covid related story um that was on the bbc about fujitsu and we've we've touched on this, you know, the 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 cost of real estate and and the amount of space that businesses need. Well, they've announced that in Japan, it's going to halve the amount of office space that it's got. They currently employ eighty thousand workers in the country, wow. and the phrase the phrase that they've coined is work life shift program. Um, staff will be able to work flexible hours, and working from home will be standard wherever possible. So you know, we can't under, uh, underestimate how much money that's going to save them in terms of, um, you know, floor space. Uh, and I guess that that's going to just be the start that unless they're manufacturing, um, when, of course, you're going to need um, fairly big units. But um, I think a lot of people are going to follow suit. And in fact, Google and Facebook, as we've already re reported, um, have said that they have got a work from home policy that's running through to the end of the year anyway. So watch this space. I think there's going to be a lot more of that. 
Um, a bit closer to home, um, on our way back from Japan, um, I noticed that um, the Rural Business Awards, which is an award supported by Amazon, has extended the deadline for entries for businesses based in Denbyshire. So if you're, um, if you're neighbours to uh, the Calon, Calon FM county, then you might want to consider entering. The closing date is now the, 20, the, the 16th of October. And they're inviting entries for best rural startup business, best rural diversification project, could be a really interesting one for this year, best rural professional services business, and the Triumph Over Adversity, Adversity Award. Can't imagine there won't be loads of people who qualify for that. So I thought that that's um, worth flagging. And then the awards are actually going to be made um, in February next year. So there is a chance that you'll be able to put on your glad rags and go to a swanky do. But this story I absolutely loved. I, I spotted it on the BBC website. Um, and the title is, uh, Working From Home, I'm a bit brainier than he thought I was. <laughs> and this tells the story of a couple who both work for Royal Mail. And she, no, he, he does a job that she used to do, but she has had a promotion and, and has, um, what it transpires is, is a, a bit more, a bit more serious than he'd anticipated so he thought that you know oh yeah whatever you know how difficult can it be and then he started hearing her say things like well what about that two million pounds and <laughs> he's, he's had a bit of a oh my goodness I, I don't think I don't he, he said it's been a bit of an eye-opener there are stacks of spreadsheets and financial accounting stuff and the hours and hours on the phone to everyone from suppliers to senior managers he says he's been blown away and I think there's been quite a bit of that you know you go to work you do your stuff you come home and you might moan a bit but nobody really has any context of what you're actually doing so I think there'll be quite a few households around the country who have either found out that their partner doesn't work as hard as they had them believe <laughs> much harder <laughs> the ones that's amused me is the people on facebook saying that um they didn't realize they'd married a person who used quite so much management speak who is this oh. person i'm married to <laughs> <laughs> interesting times interesting times my discovery this week is a website i've used for quite a while now when doing research for the show and it's packed with lots of use really useful information actually insights and ideas that relate to marketing, whether on a small sort of independent scale or, or perhaps to give us a bit of an insight into what the big boys and girls are doing. I'm talking about a website called marketingweek.com. Now, they describe themselves as the essential destination for every marketer. Uh, it's been at the centre of the marketing industry for more than 40 years, giving us unrivaled authority, trust and integrity and they say we bring you serious conversations about serious issues we spotlight the depth and breadth of what marketers do all that they are and all that they have the potential to be uh, we're not slaves to the industry we're not all things to all people um, and they give practical advice and how to bring it to life and it's actually a great resource so i usually go there just to find out any marketing news or you find a story about you know what a particular organization's doing but they also have um, a knowledge bank so they've got a database of all sorts of articles 
they've got information on lots of leading um, brands, Unilever, Volkswagen, Procter & Gamble, etc. Uh, and then they have a thing called the lockdown. And that is a sort of podcasty type thing um, where they talk about all sorts of different subjects. So, for example, um, thinking differently, leading your team and brand in a crisis. Uh, the benefits of chaos, digital transformation at light speed, lessons learned from making ads in lockdown. You know, so lots of really, really interesting stories. Uh, and they're doing them at the moment, obviously, they're doing them sort of through Zoom. So, so they're quite quirky, quite interesting. The website itself is, um, it's, a, it's a subscription. Uh, however, you can access a lot of the stuff for free um their premium um is seven pounds a week um but what i do is i subscribe to their weekly newsletter so you get a nice roundup of what's been what's going on and then you can decide whether or not to go and find out a bit more at their website so it i think it's a really useful platform it gets you thinking about the way people are marketing and what's happening in the marketing world and if nothing else it makes you sound really informed about what's going on excellent <laughs> so so that's that's mine this week marketingweek.com i'll put a link to that on our website which is the business.community now you've got a book tracy i've got a book in my hand a real physical what? book in fact i've got two books two books Ooh. in my hand um I was going to review a totally different book this week and I was partway through it, really loving it, thought, great, I'm going to talk about this on the show. And then just yesterday, another one popped through the letterbox. I had ordered it. It wasn't unsurprised. It wasn't a surprise. Um, but I, I speed read through it within a couple of hours and I needed to um, have a look in it just to make sure it met uh, the criteria for what, I, what I'd ordered it for but found myself lost in it because it was really interesting so it's the HBR Harvard Business Review Guide to Thinking Strategically and it was published last year and as with many of the HBR guides it's a series of articles or, or essays on a certain topic and this time it's uh, thinking strategically the reason why I ordered it is I'm, I'm facilitating a strategic review with an organisation and I know all the theory, I'll know all the models and all this, that and the other. And I just wanted to know what the current thinking was. I wanted to be up to date with the current thinking on strategic thinking. Yes, that's a bit of a circular <laughs> sentence, isn't it? Um, so it starts off by... Um, giving an introduction and then saying why everyone needs to think strategically, which I think is very valid. And a few of the things here can be quite useful in encouraging some participants of a workshop who perhaps not that interested in it. You know, right. Why do I need to think strategically because of this? So, and you've got a, a, a few useful sentences and a few useful ideas linked to recent research. Then section one is called getting started, be strategic in your daily work. So it's quite interesting. It's not just about strategy from the top of the organisation. It talks here about showing off your own strategic thinking skills to improve your own career as well. So how, how you can actually 
um, leverage that knowledge that you've got to actually advance your own career. Um, section two is on understanding your organization strategy. And section three is developing a big picture perspective, spotting trends and patterns, looking at the company from the outside in, uh, thinking long term in a short term economy. Mm -hmm. um, and the future is scary. Creative thinking can help. Um, section four, align decisions with strategic objectives. Um, how to make better decisions with less data is one example of an essay in there. We go on to set priorities and manage trade-offs, align your team around strategic goals, move from thinking strategically to executing the strategy, and then navigating strategic thinking challenges. And all in all, it covers every base of thinking strategically. The essays, the articles are all relatively short, so you're not getting bogged down in lots of academic material. And it's just enough to signpost you to more in-depth research if you want to. But it's, it's achieved exactly what I was wanting from it. I'm absolutely delighted with the book in that I feel like I'm, I've now got a bit of understanding as where um, the academic world and the professional world is with strategic thinking and strategic planning. So thank you very much once again, Harvard Business Review. You've come up trumps. That's a really interesting bit about executing the, the strategy you know it's what you you know people once upon a time they'd go off you know for three days to the middle of nowhere in a big house and they'd have a strategic you know away three days and then they'd come back and it would just be left on the shelf and not actually executed yeah. and i think that's really important it's you've you got to do it now if you if you decided that's the right thing to do you've got to crack on and do it yeah, the four essays in that section are um, execution is a people problem, not a strategy problem. So you've got to check your team's strategic alignment. How to excel at both strategy and execution. So how to translate the strategic into the everyday, which I think is often a big problem. You've got these big high fluting goals. What does that mean in your day to day life? Yeah. Um, how the most successful teams bridge the strategy to execution gap and get your team to do what it says it's going to do. So how to help your employees meet their targets. So absolutely excellent little book. And I, I imagine that this book is gonna, you won't like this, it's gonna get written in, it's gonna get the corners turned over, it's gonna get dog-eared. And it's gonna show that it's been in use, I, I do feel. <laughs> On the business community this week, we're profiling Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. Yes, that well-known control pant company. Sorry, it's <laughs> described as an intimate apparel company with pants and leggings. Yeah, they're control pants, aren't they? Heather, intimate question here. Do you own a pair of Spanx? Well, anybody who's seen me will probably know that <laughs> no, I don't. Um, but but I can't say that I haven't owned something similar in the past. But I've admitted defeat now. I'm a woman of a certain age. I have to embrace the fullness of my figure. That's all I can do. <laughs> I, I I concur. I ditto that. <laughs> so Sarah is um, she's around the same age as me. Um, she's 49, and she founded Spanx. Um, 
back in oh when did she found Spanx? 20 no 2012 was when she became a self-made billionaire amazing amazing but i've completely forgotten where when she founded Spanx. but help me out a little bit uh well she was 25 no 27 when she so that would be 1998 um when she spent a bit of time researching hosiery having um been working for a fax machine a door-to-door fax machine company and she was very good but she had to wear tights as we would call them stockings and um wasn't allowed to have bare legs and she got a bit a bit hot and a bit bothered in the in florida so she cut the feet off her tights and found that they actually gave her a nice smooth outline so that's when she started at the age of 27 to see whether or not she could find a way to develop the the idea into something that would well bring her an income i guess she certainly did earn an income because yes go back to it she became um the youngest self-made female billionaire at the tender age of 41 so she certainly did find an income stream there. I do believe when she married her husband, it was only just before they got married that she revealed to him how much she was actually worth. He thought Spanx was doing pretty well. Yeah, he but thought, not. But it was earning millions. It was actually her earning hundreds of millions. Well, she, she's obviously very good at being secretive because when she started her idea um started researching her idea she didn't tell anybody about it other than people in the business world she didn't tell her family or friends because she was afraid that they would say oh yeah well you know if that's such a great idea why hasn't somebody done it before or yeah it's a great idea but you know you'll put it out there and then the big boys will come along and they'll have the clout and they'll just steal it from you and so she didn't tell anybody until it was already quite successful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I think and, and she said they they said exactly those things you know and she's like no no uh, and she didn't she wasn't resentful she said you know they're coming at it from a, a bit for protection but um but I think what really nailed it for her was when she had the foresight to send some of her products to Oprah Winfrey oh and Oprah said it was one of her favorite things yeah and if that's Oprah quite an endorsement it, isn't it yes yeah every woman in america is gonna like it yeah and she only quit after that so she was still keeping her day job going um for a couple of years and she was able to quit after oprah endorsed it hardly surprisingly an interesting tip that i picked up was you're talking about family and friends but when she first got into department stores she was worried that they wouldn't sell so she'd, she'd get the product into the store <laughs> yeah. and she rang up everyone she knew, asked them to buy her product and then paid them for them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. I don't know whether that would go down as marketing. I'm not quite sure. But she also, this billion dollar business that she's got, she is still the sole owner, which is quite unusual. And she's never formally advertised, apparently, or taken outside investment, which I think is mighty impressive. That is, that is. Yeah, that is incredible. I suppose, well, maybe Oprah did a lot of that for her. Yeah. <laughs> but she generated enough money to buy, um, I guess it's an American football, the Atlanta Hawks. Not got a clue. I saw that and thought, I don't know who they are. Right, I okay. I imagine. <laughs> um, 
yeah for 850 million so you know just that spare 850 mil that you've just got in the bank yeah they're oh basketball basketball atlanta basketball team thank you for that bit of knowledge yeah, sorry <laughs> along with other people that we've mentioned she has also signed the giving pledge um so the likes of warren buffett and bill gates have signed up to this we've mentioned it before i think john cordwell as well um, where they promised to donate at least half of their wealth to charity she says uh, as a quote i read in forbes magazine she says i feel like money makes you more of who you already are if you're an a-hole <laughs> you become a bigger a-hole if you're nice you become nicer money is fun to make fun to spend and fun to give away and she certainly does seem to do that i mean they've got she's got a foundation that um was set up in 2006 richard branson acted as, as a mentor to her and um she was involved in something called the rebel billionaire which was a tv program i think uh, and he gave her seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to start the foundation uh, and now it funds scholarships for young women uh, around the world and what one interesting thing she in 2019 she paid 162 and a half thousand dollars for the black pants that were worn by olivia newton john in greece <laughs> well the the money from that paid for her cancer treatment what wouldn't you give to, well what wouldn't you, you give to be able to wear those i mean yeah. even olivia newton john was sewn into them <laughs> <laughs> Took a lot of sewing for and me. that was before Spanx as well. <laughs> yes, One of the things that I, I spotted on the Spanx Foundation website is something called the Lucky Red Backpack. Did you see that? No, I didn't know. Um, so apparently, when she was starting Spanx, uh, she said she heard a lot of no's, as you mentioned, and she dug out her Lucky Red Backpack. It was in the mum's attic, and she used to use it when she went to college. And she thought it would help her change the course of her startup. So it was there every step of the way, apparently, this backpack from her mum's attic. Even during her first sale, and um, her friends were begging her to buy a Prada bag instead, but she refused. And now she says the backpack has become a symbol of women's potential and inner strength. The lucky red backpack. One story that I saw um, that I just thought, oh, I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing this. Um, during this year, during the pandemic, um, she loaned her wedding dress to somebody. So, and she has loaned her wedding dress to, to previous people. She met somebody, she loaned it to her friend um, after she'd been married. Uh, and then she met somebody when she was traveling and this woman was going to get married and um blake he said um well you've just got engaged that's fantastic i'll tell you what why don't i could loan you my wedding dress and uh the woman said well okay that's that's lovely no thanks but um they exchanged contact details and then a year later the woman got in touch and said that um, because of um oh she was skint that was right no her dress came back ruined that was it and so um, she said, could I possibly borrow your dress? And in, in, she sent it overnight and the, the girl wore the wedding dress and now she wants to lend it to somebody else. So she's looking for somebody whose wedding has been um, messed up through coronavirus and wants to uh, lend her wedding dress. That's kind. 
Yeah. Did I mean, did you lend your wedding dress to anybody? I never thought to, to be honest. My wedding dress isn't a conventional wedding dress, though. Yeah. Anyway, so she's um, hugely successful. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't worn any of her products, you will have worn rip-off versions or similar. Yes, similar version. Yes. Yeah. So that's Sarah Blakely, uh, American businesswoman, entrepreneur, and philanthropist who was is the founder and owner of Spanx. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.